Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle Program, and I am your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Philosophical Equations of Economics. And uh, with me is my colleague and co-host, Rick Samuelson, a venture capitalist on the West Coast. Good to see you, Rick. Good to see you. The uh, purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media. And uh, this week we're going to discuss New York's, New York City's recently uh, was declared, the uh, MTA there was recently declared a state of an emergency by uh, Governor Cuomo on June 29th or June 30th, and it seemed like uh, for a week or two everything seemed to go wrong for the MTA, and and then we heard uh, Governor Cuomo um, declare a state of emergency because of all the accidents and poor performance of the trains and subways uh, in and around New York City, including Penn Central or Penn Station. And it's been very bad, and understandably, the government stepped in because there was a howl of protest over this thing. And how could this happen? Is this to be expected? Is it to be tolerated? Just a normal course of business for the MTA. Well, how does this compare with the rest of the world? Well, if we compare the MTA to the rest of the world, just just taking a cursory look, it would seem to me that the rest of the world does a far better job than the MTA. Oh boy, and I can I mean like Japan provides quality transportation and Europe is pretty good uh, at it also. And you can set your clocks by the uh, precision by which the Japan runs its tracks. And uh, so when you compare the MTA with the likes of Japan or, or Europe, the MTA does a pretty poor job. So the philosophical angle would first and foremost like to put the blame uh, of the MTA being owned and operated by a government. And yes, I know you have one objection, and that's well-founded in that most of the trains of Japan and throughout the world are owned and operated by government. So why is New York any different in its ability to provide a quality product? Well, I'm going to counter this by saying that train systems in other parts of the world at least have some lines that are privately owned or operated and thus they afford at least some competitive behavior uh, to be present alongside the government's owning and operating a, a mass transit system. So in order for the MTA to improve Either they need to allow competition to enter the mass transportation market or they need to sell their system of mass transportation to private enterprises and and they need to do it for two reasons. First, any government cannot perform anything as well as private enterprise. Uh, Especially uh, when we uh, considering the, the supply of goods 
and services to a, to a mass market. And, and secondly, it is a monopoly. And thus, competition can't come in and make it efficient. So, why can competition in every instance bring to a market more efficiency and necessarily be able to bring to the market a more efficient product than a monopolistic situation? What is the nature of competition that necessarily improves market conditions and, and brings necessarily efficiency to the, to the competitors? I think the first thing we need to do is define competition. And if we just kind of go to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says that, uh, and I'll read it here, competition is the active demand by two or more organisms for some environmental resource in short supply. Uh, and in Wikipedia, it says that economic competition is the rivalry among sellers trying to achieve such goals as increasing profits, market share, and sales volume by varying the market mix of price, product, distribution, and promotion. And these are, these are similar uh, and, and pretty consistent with each other, I think. But to further the explanation, when, when two life entities seek the same priority of goodness, uh, and I think the definition of Merriam-Webster when it said rivalry, uh, did it say rivalry? Yeah, well, the Wikipedia said rivalry. So, when two life entities seek the same priorities of goodness, and that's a rivalry, uh, compare, compared to the one seeking a goodness, if it's two or more, obviously the goodness needs to be divided by two, and, and as such, each entity has the potential to receive less goodness. So when one entity has decided on any particular priority, such as farming some piece of land, or and another one comes along with the same priority of farming the same land, this is automatically divided in half, and uh, the automobile market or any product in, in the marketplace is no different. Uh, if you had a, a, an automobile market like in the, we have in the United States, and, and it's a certain size at any one particular point in time, uh, if there's one company in that marketplace, and suddenly along comes another, then the marketplace is divided in half. It's, it's pretty obvious. Thus, direct competition, we can conclude, is inimical to one's health. And we can derive one of economics' basic dictums, including one of biology and, and evolution's basic dictums, which is that all of life tries to avoid competition, especially direct competition. That is, the, the more life converges on the same priority, the more that a life entity wants to avoid direct competition. And in order to avoid direct competition, uh, any life entity, any economic entity, will try to differentiate. It will try to effectuate divergence away from the common priority. Okay, so now we're going to go back to government. The first reason that a government cannot provide a service or product nearly as well as any private company is that the government motivation incentive factor 
for its workers is usually very minimal. And if we remember that the motivational incentive ratio is the amount of the sacrifice relative to the reward that, a person, that, that any person does to achieve some goal, we can see how this motivation for government workers uh, depreciate over time. Uh, is is well known that government workers have a very strong unions, uh, which uh, makes up its contracts, and are very difficult for government workers to be fired or punished for any kind of uh, for any kind of workplace by, uh, violation or transgression. And therefore, no matter where whether the sacrifice by the government worker increases or decreases, the reward stays the same. That is, the incentive to work depreciates, especially over time. So the sacrifice uh, means the, the amount of work that an employee does, and the reward is, of course, the payback is, is, is the payback um, that he's going to take home, his paycheck that he gets for his sacrifice at the, at the workplace. And so within each workplace, within each sacrifice, there's always goodness. And the government worker shows up and does this to achieve his reward. And inside that reward is his paycheck, which he can take home and enjoy. And the paycheck supplies the, the wherewithal for his family to proceed uh, with their lives. And obviously uh, there is goodness. And the private sector is no different. People go to work to produce a good service, and, and they're given a paycheck also, and they take it home to spend in their lives, and, and uh, so there's really no difference. Which brings us to the second dimension, and that, and which is the difference between a government enterprise and a private enterprise, and, and the private en uh, the private free marketplace where goods are exchanged, uh, there is a transfer of goodness to both sides of the transaction. You're going to sacrifice uh, what you have for the goodness of, of the reward. And uh, a manufacturer of the product sacrifices his time and, and the knowledge and, and materials to make a product. And he does so thinking that the, the product will bring goodness to somebody's lives. And it, it brings something that is, uh, if it brings something that's bad, uh, then no one's going to buy it. So the manufacturer uh, brings his product to a store or a showroom or, you know, or a marketplace and, and potential, potential buyers come around with their, with their money uh, that they've gained from their sacrifices uh, that they've, they've made previously and they've exchanged uh, their money which holds goodness and they exchange that goodness for the goodness of the manufacturer. However, in a government enterprise, goodness can be impaired uh, because, uh, as we mentioned just previously, uh, sometimes government workers' motivational incentive depreciates over time, and so the uh, the amount of goodness that they create per capita depreciates also. So that's the uh, the the amount of, of goodness uh, that is transferred in the marketplace to the buyers of governmental products and services depreciate to an extent due to the motivational factors involved in which that the the government workers get a certain paycheck no matter how well they perform, no matter how badly they perform, no, no matter how bad their 
their product or service is. So there, so so there's actually one more reason for the depreciation of the goodness held within a product um, or generated by a, by a, by a government entity. And and this additional reason is that the government entity is generally a monopoly and not subject to competition. The government can enter. Uh, uh, the government can uh, can deliver any product, no matter what its extent of holding goodness is to, to the consumer, whether it is better or worse. The consumer has no choice because it's a monopoly. So now we have to understand the impact of competition in the marketplace. The first thing we need to do is define competition again more precisely and see where it leads us. So, uh, what we need here is a philosophical definition of the economics of competition. And the definition of competition is the convergence and divergence of priorities of an entity that produces a, a product or a service. And I can just see you out there going, uh, what? Uh, well, as, let me have to explain as two companies begin fighting for the same customer in the same marketplace, uh, that is, their, their pri priorities have converged onto the same marketplace, they change or diversify their product line to avoid inhabiting the same economic niche. And uh, I'll give an example here. Uh, there's a, there are, supposing there are, there's a, a car company producing cars into the same marketplace. However, if a, a housewife uh, desires a, a mom mobile and, the, and only one company makes uh, uh, mom mobiles, then the market which holds uh, the knowledge that is the, the priorities of, of the mothers uh, dictates to, to the mom which mom mobile the mom's going to need or which she's able to get. However, when, when two or more companies decide to add their presence to that marketplace and fulfill their priorities in manufacturing a mobile. the priorities of, of the companies converge. Uh, if their priorities are the same, then they're producing similar cars to, uh, to sell to similar consumers. Their priorities converge onto the same priorities of, uh, of the customers, of the consumers. So, amazingly enough though, this competition creates necessarily divergence which results in necessarily economic efficiencies. And this divergence proceeds because of two laws of economics. One, the law of unlimited demand for goodness. And two, because competition is inimical to one's health. Whether it be a living entity or a company or a corporation, uh, due to convergence, it fosters divergence. Once the company has converged onto the same market priority as another company, the company will try to diverge because of its position in direct competition, and the market share has become divided. So, so but, uh, but companies want to take as much market share as possible, and because it, it, that leads to goodness uh, in the form of profit. 
So naturally, it tries to diverge away from the mark from the competitive marketplace, and it does so by increasing its knowledge through uh, research, uh, which helps it produce diversified products with with greater goodness. And it will do this by improving the product, making different types of the product, diversifying its characteristics, differentiating its cost, and, and usually try by reducing its cost. But it could go the other way, by adding luxury and, and therefore adding cost. But in whatever direction the customer, uh, the, the company chooses, in order to improve its market performance, the company w must differentiate and diverge away from its competitor. So you see how companies do this by just going to a store and looking at the product lines and the variation of products that are on the shelves. Companies produce all sorts of innovative products, reducing its cost. They've got uh, they, they they separate themselves entirely. So the consequences of this is that competition increases the quality of product yet reduces the cost of the products with this concept of con con uh, convergence and divergence of its priorities. Uh, but we mentioned something else about unlimited demand and uh, the buyer and con or consumer is ever looking to increase goodness for himself and his family. Uh, if a product provides goodness, there can be a demand for, for it that will, that will be a desire for it and the consumer is, is limited by how much money he has, but the desire for greater goodness remains in place. And with this in place, companies are ever trying to produce greater quality at less price, as this will provide greater goodness to the consumer, which is the divergence of, of, of what we're speaking about. So as a government, is its own monopoly in producing whatever service it is providing, it will, of course, be inferior uh, and inferior to private companies who perform inside a, a free marketplace under the pressures of convergence and divergence. And for proof of this, and proof of all of this, is all we have to do is look to the declaration by Governor Cuomo, the state of emergency for for the New York City MTA and either the ownership or at least just the operation or both need to be sold to a private enterprise in order for the transportation system of New York City's MTA to improve. Rick, what do you, what do you think about this situation of New York's MTA? Should they uh, privatize, remain as as they are. What's your opinion? Uh, I haven't looked at the finances, particularly of uh, you know, New York uh, MTA. However, uh, I would make a couple of observations uh, on the whole issue of deferred maintenance. Because if you, you see it not just in transportation systems that are government run, but also in school systems and elsewhere. Deferred maintenance tends to fall between two schools. You've got the union. You mentioned that um, one be satisfied first in terms of compensation and benefits, and then from the perspective of the taxpayer, 
hopefully funds all this stuff. Um, the most easily sold investment in infrastructure are invariably uh, capital projects, you know, new subway lines or new schools or what have you. And as that uh, installed infrastructure increases, obviously the maintenance requirements increase too over time. Um, but invariably, again, as you allude to obliquely, the demands by the unions to satisfy wage and or benefit um, demands uh, first uh, and, the, and the demands by actually the taxpayers to uh, place capital uh, uh, more into new projects and new infrastructure uh, often means, not always, but often means that maintenance gets shortchanged and you see it time and time again uh, and we've seen it out here in the West Coast too, even in our local school system uh, that's an issue that's burning right now and uh, a number of the schools right here in, in Pierce County are very dilapidated because of the same dynamic um, but coming back to the private sector uh, it's clear that uh, around the world actually more and more infrastructure be it highways uh, or other forms of infrastructure are being privatized and uh, you know toll roads are being run uh, by private companies uh, all around the world and quite successfully uh, so what's interesting is that uh, New York and other uh, metropolitan areas are so resistant to even experimenting with that kind of model uh, and one way to approach it I think would be to do it on an experimental basis. Why don't you just sell one portion of New York's extensive subway uh, system to a private company and see how it works and run the two in parallel and see which delivers better service, uh, runs more cheaply, and so on and so forth. Um, that would probably be difficult to get through a New York uh, legislature, but it's worth trying. I would think so. Um, a difficult, it's a, I think that would be an understatement in its difficulty, but and and it's an understatement to say that it's worth trying, uh, as we uh, as we know that private enterprise is always more efficient than government enterprise. Any final thoughts, Rick? Well, um, perhaps the successful uh, privatization of just just toll roads uh, should be uh, and also ports should be more widely publicized so that you know at least there's some indirect pressure put on government agencies and governors and legislators to, to, to measure up okay Rick thanks for, uh, for your input and uh, we'll see everybody uh, next week on another episode of the philosophical angle thank you thank you Thank you for joining us on the Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.